So uh, I think it's a one meeting can change your life. And it is inherently important to me that me, my team, everybody who I work with actually puts the customer outcomes first and foremost before anything. That, that meeting was really extremely important in my career, I think, because it uh, completely transformed the way I looked. Welcome to The Windwire. My guest today is Vihan Sharma, the Chief Revenue Officer at LiveRamp. Vihan's journey as an executive and revenue leader is super unique. He started in product management before he stepped up to lead the France business of Axiom and LiveRamp. And in today's episode, we explore how through his career-defining deal, Vihan was instrumental in advancing a solution that moved the advertising and retail industries forward, paving the way for his now role as CRO at LiveRamp. As someone born in India, residing in France, and constantly flying across the world, I loved getting Vihan's perspectives on navigating cultural nuances and company dynamics, and balancing ambition and family life. Everyone I talked to had nothing but glowing things to say about Vihan, and listening to him talk is clear why. His leadership is marked by deep principles, humility, customer focus, and courage. Without further ado, Vihan Sharma. Vihan, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I've been super excited to chat, and I've gotten some great background from a few folks in your life. So before we launched into the deal that changed your career, I wanted to first ask you about something in your background. I know that before becoming a country leader and now CRO, you spent a long time as a product manager and leader, and people have said you're incredible at product, honestly. You mentioned before that there was a eureka moment story that changed everything for you and allowed for that transition to becoming a business leader. So I wanted to ask you about that first, if you could tell us the story. Yeah, I, I, I joined uh, Axiom in, the, in a product role, actually, uh, working on data products. And uh, even that was very new to me because in my previous roles, I uh, was much more focused on the digital marketing side of the equation. So much more uh, trying to build uh, acquisition uh, products for, you know, growing traffic. I mean, this is like 20 years ago. So, uh, you know, uh, doing much more of an ad ops side of the equation, et cetera. And uh, my first job, by the way, was traffic manager. I, I mean, I still remember this because uh, a lot of the understanding of the ecosystem for me comes from those days where I was trafficking campaigns on 24-7 real media back then, <laughs> the open ad stream ad server they had. So uh, I, I really was not in sales. I was very much more the, uh, on the product uh, side of the equation. When I joined uh, Axiom, I had the opportunity to learn about data. And, and I moved uh, through the ranks and became the leader for our product organization outside of the U.S., and I will. I would be called to these client meetings very often, right? I would uh, like the MD of the UK would say, "Hey, you know, we have a important client meeting. It will be good to represent product." And as any like product person, I would. I was proud of the products we were building, so I would go and I would just say, "Oh, LiveRamp or Axiom does these five things, uh, and here is why we are good." But I remember very clearly. I think this was a telco customer in the UK office. They were sitting there and. I go and I do this 15-minute thing on, oh, yeah, here are the investment areas. This is what we are doing, et cetera. And I said, do you have any questions? And they go, well, uh, thanks for sharing your roadmap. I just don't know how it actually makes any difference to me. <laughs> it was a really shocking moment. I think a transformative moment for me because uh, that is kind of like the day where I said, whatever I've been doing so far is actually people being respectful and nice and not really telling me back that they didn't find my 15-minute pitch to be the greatest thing because it didn't really connect to their business outcomes. And 
you know, very quickly, I kind of understood that being a great product person means caring about your the outcomes you can deliver to your customers. And if you think about sales, you cannot be a great salesperson if you cannot give, deliver the outcomes to your customers. I mean, it's basically the same thing. Uh, and I think I... That, that meeting was really extremely important uh, in my career, I think, because it uh, completely transformed the way I looked. And I think if you have spoken to people uh, about me, they will tell you one thing if they don't say anything else, is that I am very customer-focused. I do not actually want to go and sell somebody something if I don't believe that we are driving value. And it is inherently important to me that me, my team, everybody who I work with actually puts the customer outcomes first and foremost before anything. So uh, I think it's a one meeting can change your life. It probably, yes, I think that's probably the meeting which completely transformed uh, who uh, I am today. And I found that to be fascinating. The change in approach led to customers being much more engaged, much more open to tell me about what are their problems? How are they thinking about their strategy? What, what is it that they think uh, Axiom or LiveRamp can help them accomplish. And and if you go through a sales qualification process today and you're on a call with a client, and if you go and say, hey, you know, I have the greatest thing uh, is a huge platform which is going to help you optimize customer experience, whatever. Mm, yeah, okay, yes, sure, interesting. But if you can't really relate to the problems they face and you can't really personalize uh, the outreach, it is very hard for executives to give you time, right? And I think that that philosophy is something very important to me as, uh, you know, as uh, a salesperson now, but uh, even as a product person, because I, I, I think without putting your customer first, it is very hard for you to, to deliver outcomes that are expected of you as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and customer obsessed was something that came up multiple times in talking to people about you. And I know you've even told some prospects who weren't a good fit to get value that they shouldn't even become customers. But uh, I wanted to get to your game-changing deal. And I think this is one that not only changed your life personally and your trajectory, but on some level, it even changed the industry from my understanding. So it'd be great to start by getting in some context into the stakes and where you're at in your career at the time. Okay, sounds good. So uh, let me like set the scene here first. So we are talking about the 2014 2015. LiveRamp has just been acquired by Axiom, but LiveRamp is not really available in uh, the European markets uh, at this time. We had just restructured our Axiom business, so we were a very small team, about seven to eight people. And uh, this was the first time for me to actually run a PNL uh, as an MD of a company. So because prior to this, I was always in a product role. So, you know, different stakes, I would say. And this deal is very important because everybody in the small team who has stayed is counting on us to drive growth. So it is important for that. It is important for us to position the company in a way which is meaningful for the industry. Uh, so that's number two. And number three, this is very much like 
the marquee client you can sign in Europe so that when we launch LiveRamp, we have a successful case study tool to talk about in uh, in the market. So that is kind of like the stake uh, of this deal. And we're going to talk about uh, Carrefour, which is uh, the second largest retailer in the world after Walmart, the, obviously the largest retailer in France and a very large company versus us who are a team of seven to eight people. Now, before we hear about Vihan's deal, I wanted to quickly unpack some of the background for many listeners who are not in the advertising and retail world. Carrefour is a global retail powerhouse from France with over 10,000 stores worldwide. They have a ton of data from their customers and loyalty cards. And the first challenge they faced here was that they didn't really know how to sift through all of that data and use it to drive more business. And that sets the stage for the first part of this deal. Yeah, so the Carrefour story is actually in three parts. We have worked with them for the last 10 years. So I'm going to tell you this, like three key important moments of our partnership with Carrefour. Let me start with the very beginning. And with like any deal, it is about people. And we were very fortunate to uh, meet an individual named Michel Belanger, who just joined Carrefour in 2014 from Groupam. And he was working for their merchant services side of the business. And the merchant services is like a smaller group within Carrefour whose whole objective is to provide additional services to the CPG brands in return for creating new incremental revenues. And he very quickly understands that the Carrefour has a unique data asset. They have the loyalty card program with about 15 million households in France, which gives them a lot of unique data, which can be valuable both for Carrefour marketing initiatives, but also for CPG brands they want to work with. However, in 2014, Across the teams at Carrefour, there was low maturity levels uh, around understanding how this first-party data can be leveraged for better outcomes and better customer experiences across the board. And Michelle basically asked our support to help educate different teams across the ecosystem so that they can understand the value of LiveRamp. And within Axiom back then, there is an individual who is still at the company. His name is Nicola Dore. He is a, an expert in the retail business. And he goes on this path to try to educate different folks and different um, business units within Carrefour to understand the value of what we were trying to do. So once the education is done, they still are hesitant because they don't, uh, it's very theoretical. They understand the value of using their first party data, but they don't really know how to put this in practice and define what success looks like for them. And we have this another colleague whose name is Fatima Alian, who back then is running data science for us in the company. And she comes up with a very simple idea, which is, hey, if we can show you the impact of your advertising dollars on actual in-store sales, would that something be interesting for you? And almost every single business unit we work with, so the data analytics teams, the, the marketing teams, the media teams, they all agreed that this was something that they can take upstairs to their bosses and say their investment in the media they are doing is actually going to lead to better outcomes. And so we started our journey with Carrefour by helping them build the first kind of sales lift 
capability. So we took the impression level data uh, on digital channels that Carrefour was advertising on, try, tied it to the actual transactions happening in the store. And I think that was kind of the turning point because they could very quickly see that the value that LiveRamp was driving, it was helping them understand how they can optimize their media spend in order to deliver better outcomes for their company. And it, this allowed us to actually get the buy-in across uh, different teams and sign our first, uh, this was about, a, I would say, a million-dollar contract, so the first million-dollar ACV for LiveRamp in the market. And that is kind of the start of this journey. Now for the really career-defining part of the story. Carrefour had an even bigger challenge and opportunity. To explain quickly, consumer brands like Pepsi or Unilever, despite being household names, primarily reach consumers by selling to other businesses. Retailers like Carrefour or Walmart, often they don't even know the consumers buying their products, unless the retailers share the information with them. But retailers guard this data closely. They don't want to open their entire book. And there are legal barriers around sharing customer data, especially in Europe. So in order to foster collaboration, the retailers would need a way to share only the most relevant data in a highly secure way. And that situation sets the stage for the deal where Vihan and the team completely changed the game. The second phase really is about the launch of retail media in France. And so I would say by 2018, you had Carrefour teams who were already trying to partner with CPG brands, running some specific co-op, co-op, co-branded campaigns. However, the CBG brands kept asking Carrefour, hey, you know, it's great that we are able to run these single campaigns, but we would love to have access to your data. Uh, and if you can provide us uh, with more granular data for, for helping us build audiences and provide us transaction data for measurement, we are willing to invest significant amount of dollars uh, in the Carrefour programs. The problem, though, was Carrefour's security team, their executive teams, were not really very sure how this data can be used, whether they will lose control, whether they, they will actually be able to generate incremental dollars. And on the CPG side, it was kind of the same framework, right, where CPG brands is like, oh, Car Carrefour is a big client of ours. If we give them all our media data, uh, whether they can actually use it to negotiate better deals with us, etc. So there was a huge kind of friction point between Carrefour, the retailer, uh, CPG brands, who are kind of like the suppliers in this uh, in this ecosystem. So very quickly, we identified that there is an opportunity here. There's an opportunity for us to go and say, can we build a platform on top of uh, the LiveRamp capabilities back then, which provides transparency, control of the data between both parties so that they can start collaborating together. Uh, and so on, we, we faced like two challenges here. One is at the Carrefour side, uh, one uh, on the LiveRam side. So let's start with the Carrefour journey where Carrefour folks, uh, so Michelle is still there. Uh, we are now able to access uh, more the C-level suite at Carrefour France. 
uh, and there is this lady, Jeanne Dubarry, who uh, is uh, in charge of the digital transformation of Carrefour. And uh, we sat down with her to identify what the opportunity is. Uh, and uh, it was kind of very simple to do because they were trying to launch an advertising business. They very much focused around the Facebooks and the Googles of this world. And I think if you remember, and is still today, uh, Meta uses a KPI, which is average advertising or advertising revenue per user. And uh, if you apply that same principle to the Carrefour data set, which is so prominent, you can show the total opportunity that is in front of uh, Carrefour. And I mean, the exact team, you have to understand, they run a, a business which is over $80 billion in annual revenues. And for them to find this to be a meaningful investment, they needed to understand what is the opportunity for them to grow their gross merchandise value uh, on the, in their stores. They wanted to see whether uh, this partnership can lead to accelerated e-commerce sales and whether they can drive incremental high margin revenues, which are important uh, for a retailer. And uh, so they hired, so Jeanne at this point hired Accenture to start building out a a, a business uh, overview and the and the requirements from a, a, a human capital perspective of what Carrefour would need uh, to actually be successful and. Uh, we had some very good folks at Accenture. Uh, there was a uh, individual named Pierre Santamaria who ran uh, the whole business planning exercise. He was very challenging for us because he was working on behalf of uh, Carrefour. So he was trying to say Carrefour's total opportunity is X, but the live ramp cost should be minimal, right? So we had a bit of a friction there, but they were good partners because they were able to convince uh, the executive suite at Carrefour France that this is something worth investing in. And uh, so we, we ticked off uh, the business outcome uh, element of the deal with uh, Jean and with the, with the Accenture team. Then comes uh, the issue around uh, security, transparency, and there's a, a, the person back then who was running the security function at Carrefour, his name uh, is Carlos Marta, and Carlos uh, is uh, very busy, obviously, because he's running a, a very big business, and so he gives us an opportunity to go, come in and highlight what uh, guarantees that we can provide from a security and privacy perspective for him to feel secure, and uh, I think what I really appreciated about like a live ramp back then is how nimble we were uh, because we were within uh, like 30 minutes of that request, we were able to get our uh, chief security officer over to France uh, to have a meeting uh, with Carlos and his teams to help them understand uh, that we are uh, first and foremost, a privacy uh, a privacy first organization which takes customer data very, very seriously. And uh, I think that helped us uh, negate uh, some of the the fears that the Carrefour teams uh, had in terms of leveraging their data for uh, for partnering with the CPG brands. Uh, and uh, so what, that was uh, really on the uh, the Carrefour side. Uh, we uh, then had to convince um, our folks internally at LiveRamp that 
building a capability on top of our current infrastructure, which allows control, which allows transparency, is the right thing. And uh, frankly, I mean, I think back then there was no idea of what this concept of clean room is, et cetera, et cetera. And we very much had to do an internal exercise and uh, convince, uh, obviously, uh, uh, Scott, who is our CEO, but also uh, the head of product, uh, head of... Um, uh, uh, well, the CFO, which is Warren, who was really bought into this project. So it was a, kind of a journey internally as well for uh, me to convince our teams that this was the right thing for LiveRAM to do. Uh, the, the problem is when you only have one client, it looks like we're trying to build a custom solution for one customer. And so the challenge internally uh, was to identify the overarching opportunity, because if you go and say this is valid for Carrefour, it is as valid for Tesco's, it is as valid for Boots in, in the UK and the large retailers in the US. So once you look at the opportunity, you say, if this can work at Carrefour, this can pretty much work across the retail ecosystem, uh, which is how we landed on creating the first clean room of the industry, which was called Safe Haven. So uh, very fortunate uh, to have great leaders at LiveRamp who actually bought into this vision, but we still need to get the deal over the line. So uh, this is being run uh, at the CEO of Carrefour France level, uh, and Noel uh, is somebody who has... Uh, been at Carrefour for 30 years, and uh, obviously as a CEO of a large organization, he doesn't really have much time. And so it was really very important for us to bring to the table key criteria that will be of interest to him. So we validated uh, with uh, with his team that there is no security issue, number one. We validated with Accenture that they have a business opportunity that they need to uh, that they need to embrace. And third, we kind of called out that if they are not going to do that, they are going to be further behind more digitally first uh, capabilities like the Amazons of this world. And uh, I, all this happened during a uh, a dinner uh, we had we hosted for them a, in Paris. Now you've got me curious. What did you say at this dinner that actually got them over the line? We're sitting at this dinner with the CEO of Carrefour France, a much bigger company, and it is myself, Warren Jensen, and Frederic Jou, who is uh, back then the MD of our APAC business. But he's also known Noel for, for some time because Noel was in APAC for Carrefour at, at some stage. And, uh, you know, we keep on talking and we are seeing that the Carrefour team is interested, but they are not really making a call whether they should do this deal or not. And I think the, the conversation started by, uh, it was by Frederic, is like, well, do you really want to do this or you are just going to be uh, waiting and not uh, not invest in this capability and stay behind in this retail uh, retail media game and uh, Warren who actually is prior to joining uh, LiveRamp he was at Amazon he helped uh, Noel understand that if they do not move quickly they will be very far behind in this retail media game and we basically said look I mean if it's not you who's going to do this we can actually go and uh, build out this capability for somebody else and then we gave you the first shot but if you're not going to do it you're not going to do it and very quickly I think that changed the perspective of Noel, of Noel, who basically saw that if 
he has a first mover advantage. If he doesn't really take this, then there will be other players who will go after this opportunity and it'll be a negative impact for, for Carrefour. So uh, that dinner was a unique moment in our journey with Carrefour because it allowed us to convince the main stakeholder, the main decision maker, who we don't really, we didn't really have much time with, but who ultimately is the person who will uh, make the call that this is something that the Carrefour executives would like to go forward with. And like uh, like we were at Axiom Libram, we're very excited uh, about this uh, opportunity. Uh, excited because this is something really new. Uh, excited that we are maybe about to shape uh, what the industry will look like in the future. Uh, and so we get to uh, contracting, which again is not an easy task when you're talking with uh, a very large company. So uh, let's say it took about three months once we had the go-ahead uh, to start uh, getting a contract for signature. And uh, Warren, who is uh, the CFO uh, of LiveRamp and um, uh, president of the international business, came to Paris, is with me in the car, going to sign this deal uh, in Massy, where Carrefour is based. And uh, while we are in this car, we got a call uh, from uh, Noel Priu's assistant who says, hey, uh, I have to cancel this meeting because uh, Noel has something else which came up which is important. And for us, it was uh, kind of a, a complicated uh, situation because we have done all this work. We are looking at the whole opportunity uh, that we, <laughs> we have convinced internally at, uh, at LiveRamp and to find ourselves in a position where uh, they are basically canceling a meeting uh, at the last minute is very surprising. However, uh, what we understood uh, is that they actually were having a change uh, in management. And so the the whole de deal was became at risk again uh, because there was going to be a new uh, management team uh, coming to Carrefour. So that's uh, a messy situation. Uh, nobody's excited after all the work that we have done over the six, nine months uh, in order to educate everybody uh, uh, up and down the organization to find ourselves in a place that we might not actually sign the deal. Um, but we said that this opportunity, whether it is Carrefour or somebody else, is worth uh, us going after. So we started building uh, the Safe Haven product, uh, which is the first clean room uh, in this market. Um, and said, okay, well, when the new management team comes in, you know, it'll take them a couple of months to get on board. And once they do, we'll try to revisit the, the situation. I think we got... Uh, in a way, lucky because the new management team comes in at Carrefour, and Emilio Odia, who is uh, who took over as chief uh, digital transformation officer, and another person called Edouard Melfay, who took the role of uh, chief data officer of Carrefour, and both of them are very savvy uh, from a digital perspective. Their whole agenda is to drive digital transformation for uh, Carrefour, and uh, we were very quickly able to partner with Edouard and with uh, with uh, uh, Amelie to get the second part of our deal signed uh, and start the retail media business for Carrefour in France. So. 
lot of challenges this time, but uh, got to a place where uh, they bought into Safe Haven. We created a new complete category, which is now called Dean Rooms, and we are powering the biggest retail media business in France. But the partnership didn't stop there. There's a third phase. After seeing success, Edouard and the Carrefour team wanted to expand globally with LiveRamp, unifying their fragmented systems in each market. And recognizing the need for specialized knowledge and data intelligence in these markets, LiveRamp acquired a company called Acuity Data to really show their commitment to Carrefour and this clean room product called Safe Haven. However, just when things were about to take off, they hit a big snag. Their sponsor, Amelie, left Carrefour. I'll let Vihan tell the rest. We were again in a place where we were like, oh my God, we have worked so much. We acquired this company and we are again finding ourselves in a place uh, where this might not actually happen. But uh, we have uh, been very fortunate that the the person who came after Elodie Pertuiseau was again very forward-looking, very much bought into this idea that data is is driving a lot of value uh, for Carrefour and their CBG brands, and she really wanted to accelerate this project. So she rallied around the Carrefour team who were focused on this, partnered with us quite successfully uh, as soon as she took on board the new role and we were able to get this deal closed. Um, and let me talk to you about the day the deal closed because I think it is uh, funny and it is interesting. So we are on 31st of March, I think 2020 uh, or yeah, 2020 is just about like COVID has just started, I think. And um, we are basically waiting for the end of the quarter. So 31st of March is the end of the quarter for, for LiveRamp. I have this deal. And by this time, I was uh, MD of LiveRamp in Europe. And, by, and this deal is actually in the forecast. And every day that goes by since the beginning of January, we see the deal moving, <laughs> moving uh, slower and slower and slower. And I'm sitting in this uh, last day call with some of the execs at, uh, at LiveRamp going through how we're going to be closing our, our quarter. And while I am doing this deal, it's like 10.30 in the night, I receive the signed contract which completely changed uh, the way we felt about the quarter. So um, all in all, it took us a time, a lot of challenges, uh, but because we were delivering a value to, to, to Carrefour, we were able to get uh, the deal over the line. So that's kind of the whole, uh, whole story. It's fascinating. And I think it's a testament to the fact that great things are not built overnight and often take a lot of investment and belief and courage and I guess the last question I have on the deal is, if you could just talk for a moment about the impact that it's had on your career and then on the industry at large. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, look, for let me start by me personally in my career. I think uh, because the sheer value uh, of Carrefour deal, you have to understand, we, if you look at the advertising market in, in the U.S., we're talking about a $160 billion market. If you look at France, we're talking about a like back then about five to six billion dollar market, right? So the, the, the scales are very different. And for us to be go, able to go and sign a multi-million dollar deal with a retailer where the retailer saw us as a strategic partner at the executive level, 
actually allowed me personally to have the confidence to go and say, this can be replicated across the board because it's not an easy sell. But once you do make this sell, it completely it gives you credibility in the market to go and talk to others and replicate this over and over again, right? So I think that's kind of number one. Number two, it also uh, opened the door for me to actually lead Safe Haven in the U.S. market. So uh, soon after the Carrefour deal, uh, we basically said we're not going to just focus on uh, Carrefour and the European markets. This is an opportunity too good for us to uh, leave it to the table. And uh, Warren actually asked me to uh, go and run what we would call an incubator uh, within LiveRamp, uh, which will be safe haven for the U.S. market, uh, which uh, led to us creating a dedicated team in the U.S., allowed me to partner with our U.S. Uh, teams across the board, uh, and gave me much more insight into our U.S. business, U.S. customers, the way they think, uh, which ultimately uh, allowed me to be in my role today. So I'm very uh, I can directly link the Carrefour deal with my uh, with my career, so I think that's kind of number one. And on the you know on the on the industry side, uh, I'm very uh, proud to say that we actually created the first uh, clean room of the market, even though we didn't call it a clean room because it that you saw it very quickly that uh, this whole notion of collaboration is going to be important for delivering. Uh, great customer outcomes and great customer experiences because nobody can have all the data uh, on a consumer, right? The consumer has their own way of interacting with different brands, different media properties, different publishers. And in order for you to connect the dot, uh, you're not just going to bring all the data in one single data lake. What you will need is to connect the dots uh, in a privacy-first uh, way, which is what the industry is going towards now, and uh, I'm like grateful to have had the opportunity to uh, to actually make that first move. I am curious. You talked a little bit about, you know, you coming up from France. Uh, I think a common experience that people have is, you know, you're a European leader or a country leader. It's a really hard role. You're always kind of a second thought, especially in your case where it comes to genuinely putting something on the line and trying to invent a new product and, and, and rally company resources around it. How did you turn that into the CRO role? And how do you think, you know, other folks in your position uh, at, at similar places should really think about navigating for themselves to, to become leaders like you? Look, I think uh, selling in Europe, if I'm very candid, it's uh, a lot harder than it is to sell something in a market as dynamic as the U.S., right? And there are a few reasons for it. First, inherently decision-making processes in Europe are much longer, like significantly much longer. People are risk-averse, so they would not take a risk uh, if they do not believe that they are doing the right things. And so it's easy for them to like trust the big companies like the Googles and the Facebooks uh, or Meta and, and stuff like this. It is hard for them to actually go and say, yeah, I want to work with this small company, uh, you know, which uh, I've maybe never heard of. Or So it is a very different uh, kind of a risk uh, profile. Uh, and third, they want to not only 
get them their sign off they want to have a committee kind of a sign off so they need multiple people to come and say yes and especially in the industry we are in because uh, you know if you're talking about customers first party data like very there's like real requirements around security privacy and those components so the the sales process is much harder it is uh, because you have many more steps and the time it takes is uh, is longer and for us it was very clear uh, very quickly that at every step of the way, we have to talk the language uh, of the customer. So if they are in a specific vertical, what are the key KPIs? Uh, you, you need to make them feel like you know their business and that you can be a strategic partner uh, for them. So I think that's kind of uh, number one learning from uh, from Europe, which if you apply it to the U.S., it actually makes sense, right? You uh, when you're in front of a client, you have to talk their language and uh, be ready to articulate the value that you are driving for uh, for their business. So I think that's uh, that's kind of number one. Number two, uh, I think I was fortunate in a way because I had the support, as I mentioned, uh, you know, of Warren and Scott, who really were when they saw the opportunity the 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 reaction that we were getting in the market with somebody like a carrefour they uh said yes i mean this is a good way for us to navigate the challenges we have in international markets because this will allow us to kind of uh creates a, a much more coherent and sustainable business going forward so uh to convince the leaders out in the US that this is the right thing to do is uh, is really hard but once uh, you know you get the buy in uh, it, it makes life easier well there's a bit of a risk there's a bit yeah. of a risk and i think you know you're being a little bit um humble and and saying you're lucky etc but i think i've seen that same play before where Somebody, you know, even in the U.S. can say to somebody, look, this is the one that's really going to do it for us. And you put all your eggs in one basket. You feel like you have even fewer eggs if you're the leader of France, as an example, where <laughs> I got one yeah. shot, really. I agree. I mean, like, and the thing is, you know, you have to be uh, you have to be bold and you're and you have to be convinced that you are doing the right thing. I mean, if I was not convinced that this was the right thing, uh, I don't think I would have uh, fought internally for us to uh, actually do this. I would not have spent so much time with the, you know, the different Carrefour teams with all the uh, you know ups and downs we have had. And inherently, you know, when you're do like this was the the shot like if we played this right we would actually have a, a incredible business opportunity and i think once you are uh, you know i mean like i'll tell you something from my i i grew up in india i came to france i did not speak french right it, it is a very hard thing to integrate in france if you do not speak their language so i think uh, for me i very uh, at a very young age i knew that in order for me to thrive, I have to adapt to different situations. And I think that's, uh, you're asking me what it takes to be a leader. I think what it takes is uh, never be afraid of change, always be willing to adapt, and there's always a solution. So if you believe in those three things, I think it makes life a bit easier. But, uh, you know, I, I learned it very young that if I just try to stay in my uh, uh, in the way I was, it'll be very hard for me to actually be happy in France and be able to to embrace a new culture, etc. So I think embracing change is the ultimate way to innovate and uh, and grow. It makes a lot of sense from your perspective. That cultural identity point is something I thought of a lot before we talked. You know, you 
have an Indian passport. You grew up in France. I, I, my understanding is you're married to a Spaniard. You're on a yes. plane basically the entire year, European teams, U.S. teams, et cetera. Um, that has to impact the way that you think about leadership, your, I would call it maybe cultural agility in understanding people and, and trying to level with them. Um, and, and I think another element I even thought about was someone who, like you, rises quickly in an organization um, at the same place for a long time. And people who were previously mentors or peers um, suddenly uh, become your direct reports um, and below. And, and having to navigate that new relationship and figure that out, I'm sure it's been something that's been an interesting adaptation. <laughs> You have, you have done your research very well. Yes, I mean, um, I, I think the cultural differences, uh, I think if you're in Europe, uh, you know, everybody thinks Europe is like this one big country. It, it is not, right? It is every single country is a very different culture. The French and the English don't really understand each other even today. Uh, the same you can say with the Germans and the and the French. So uh, even though it is a it is called Europe, it is not really uh, a homogeneous place and it is it has its complexities. And and that is an advantage uh, really to be in Europe because you have to adapt to these situations, right? No, if you are working in a multinational organization in Europe, you cannot uh, just take your point of view and make that a uh, reality. And the, so for me, uh, because I, I came from India, the shock was so big uh, from a cultural perspective that the different nuances across Europe uh, were easier to navigate, I think, because overall, like uh, there are differences, but 80% of the way uh, they operate is still the same. So being able to manage the nuances is, is quite important. It, it's really helpful to build the right relationships. Uh, I think um, in terms of leading uh, pe your peers who are probably at the same level or uh, even uh, further up, I think it's a question of respect. I mean, you you need to be respectful of people. Uh, you need to be able to show them uh, what you are trying to bring to the table, uh, how partnering with you, they will, uh, at the end of the day, have more of an impact in the company. And I think those are important uh, elements to uh, navigate these challenges. And I've had to do this a couple of times uh, during the last 14 years that I've been in this company. Uh, and every time, I think uh, the the principle is the same respect uh you know identify the impact and make their lives easy if you can do that then it is actually a pretty uh good way to create uh, a, the right team mechanics and uh drive growth for uh, for for the company absolutely it it makes a lot of sense to me the respect component is interesting i i heard some people describe you as a humble leader I think that's probably a nice reputation for you, of course. I think a lot of people might look at that um, and see their careers and, and, and how to rise up in a company and say, you know, maybe that kind of humble leadership aspect would hold your career back, especially leading in Europe. Um, doesn't seem to have affected you. And, and then the second challenge of, with it is you need to make sure that the ship is headed in the right direction. Inherently, you got to make decisions and you got to impose yourself at certain points. Why do you think other people might struggle with that that balance of the self-promotion and, and, and leadership and, and that humility and how did you, how have you kind of managed to achieve that? Uh, I mean, um, I think humility doesn't mean that you don't have strong convictions, right? Like I actually do not make any decisions based on personal, uh, personal relationships, no nothing. I always like, I would say 99.9% .9 of the times 
I make decisions based on the customer outcomes we deliver. Humility is uh, about being open to uh, different points of view, right? I think uh, if you have to make a decision, uh, you can't always believe you have all the data points yourself. And uh, being humble means open to listen to other points of view, take in uh, ideas which are not just yours, but use them and leverage them to make the right decisions. And I think uh, that is uh, potentially um, why you have heard about this, because I am very open to talking to uh, uh, to our customers, to my colleagues, to uh, my partners, and actually draw, you know, and have a very uh, clear understanding of different perspectives before making a decision. And I think that has helped me uh, make decisions which are longer term, um, which uh, have more of an impact on our organization and uh, allows people to uh, believe they have a say. So I think uh, all in all, uh, being humble doesn't mean you can't make a decision. Being humble means you are open to other ideas, which I think in today's changing uh, economic environment and the uh, technology landscape are uh, pretty uh, important to uh, to do. So that's 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 what I think about it, Michael. Yeah, sure, sure. I, I think it's just it's just a really challenging balance to strike for most, especially to have someone describe that um, as as a leading quality. Maybe is the way to put it. And you know, on that note, one of the other qualities that I, I heard a lot was hardworking. One of the hardest working people they know and. It's not surprising based on everything I've heard around your schedule and um, leading U.S. teams and being on a plane all the time. Uh, how do you keep balance the scales between your personal and professional life from tipping too far one way and, and navigate those decisions with all the sacrifices involved? Really good question. I, I think I'm very fortunate to have uh, a, a family who understands and who is uh, who is participating in my career. Like I think it is a joint decision. So I spoke uh, uh, with my wife before I took this role, and I said uh, uh, this is going to mean uh, some sacrifices from both of us because it's not just me who's sacrificing. It's also uh, you know people who are part of my family who uh, actually uh, are sacrificing in order for uh, for me to do this role and I think we made uh, the call together I think we made some guardrails which is like at the weekends when I'm in in Europe in Paris uh, I 99% of the time I try to disconnect and uh, and have quality time because if you can do that, then it actually makes life easier, right? Uh, and um, it, it is hard because of uh, all the traveling. I have to be out a lot, but we try to find time. Uh, we try to plan uh, properly so uh, that when uh, we meet, we actually have things to do and uh, enjoy time together. And I think that's how, uh, that's how you create a balance between travel and uh, enjoying the time uh, when you get uh, the occasion to be together. So... Uh, it is not easy, but uh, I'm very fortunate uh, to have a family who understands and uh, uh, is uh, willing to be part of this journey. Yeah, I, I, I get it. And it's just funny because of obviously your entire background and everything, you know, the, the biggest um, stereotype, especially for French people, Europeans in general, in a lot of cases, you know, they understand balance and integration. I, you know, I talked to a French coworker one time who mentioned that um, uh, she parked at her office, which was near Chardegal Airport, and uh, I believe the police or something fined the company because there was a there was a car in the parking lot on a weekend. They did, you know they were just there to park for the airport, and so that really sets the standard of what it means to work and balance there. But obviously, 
I know empirically that you do need to make sacrifices here and you still have that ambition and maybe you have some of that drive from all those different areas of your life. Uh, yeah, and I, you know, I think uh, um, uh, I believe uh, fundamentally. I mean, I think culturally, yes. I, I think uh, uh, it, it is hard uh, in Europe to actually understand, uh, <laughs> you, you know, the 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 work life balance. I think that uh, we have here in the U.S. But uh, ultimately, I think. Um, there is a lot of hard pe- hard working people in Europe, right? I mean, I, I can uh, think of the Libram team. I mean, they they do work very 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 I hard. I don't mean to be implying that there's no <laughs> hard working people. Uh, and uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you have to find uh, a balance that fits uh, your lifestyle. And uh, if you have uh, understanding between you and your family, I think it's a easy easy thing to do. But uh, you can't be successful if you don't really work hard. So, you know, I mean, you need to know what you want to to do. Absolutely. Uh, it's probably a very deliberate act for you and, and one that's still agile as you continue to, uh, to move forward. Now, you know, one thing I think we love to talk about on here is mentors and leaders and people who've influenced you. Obviously, you've had a lot of people change your journey. One of those people you mentioned and other folks did is Warren Jensen who um, seemed to be a real champion for you and your um, rise, candidly. Uh, what, you know, what's one piece of advice or you know, a few real concrete things you've learned from him? Um, and then you know, if any other people that kind of stick out to you throughout your career as those people, is there anything specific you can uh, mention that you learned from those other folks too? Uh, yeah, I think, like Warren... Um has been instrumental in my career, and I think that's probably even an understatement. But, uh, you know, w- working with Warren, I think I, I got to learn uh, three things. One, uh, it is very much about embracing external trends. He was somebody who always um, uh, asked of us not to just look internally, but also see what is happening externally. Uh, and like, if you think about the story that we just talked about, if we didn't think externally, we, if we didn't embrace the different trends which are which were happening in the ecosystem, it'll be very hard for us to actually go to this direction. So I think uh, number one thing, embrace external trends. Second thing is like any any decisions or discussions you're having, it should not be about you. It should be about outcomes, and you should not really focus on why you were right versus why you were wrong. You should always be focused on what is the ultimate outcome you are trying to deliver for the company, so LiveRamp in this case, or for the advertiser who you're working with, and that always helps uh, take away the personal egos that are in play when you are actually doing a deal. And the third uh, thing he taught me is like really think in horizons, right? There is a, uh, we have a tendency to just look at the next three months and say, this is the right call for the next three months. But it is really very much about looking a longer term view, three to five years, uh, so that you can uh, start articulating and putting in place a strategy which will have a lasting impact. So I would say those are the three main things uh, that Warren uh, has taught me. And, And I think like two other people who are Really important uh, in this journey are, is Florence Farman, who is actually our CFO in international business. Uh, I've been working with her for the last 15 years, and uh, we have a great relationship uh, in the sense that she is able to challenge the status quo. She's always very 
um, uh, if you think of me, I'm more of a visionary person, and so I am very optimistic around what uh, you know future can uh, can look like. And having somebody like a Florence uh, being a great partner actually allowed me uh, to not only see the positive side of the equation when I'm making a decision, but also the different negatives and different uh, challenges that we might might face, which ultimately ended up in better decisions for the company. So I would say uh, she is an integral part of uh, the success in my career. And I would say the third person is Fatima Ali and who leads, who is, uh, I would say, the, our chief operating officer outside of the U.S., so basically helping deliver value to our customers. Uh, she has always been able to take my vision and put it in practice for our customers, uh, which has uh, ultimately helped deliver a huge value. And without uh, those two folks, it will be hard for me to sit here and say uh, that uh, I am successful. Absolutely. And it's obviously a key time to reflect at any point in our careers. Now, you're talking a lot about external mentors and what they've taught you. And obviously, you internalize some of those lessons. But at the same time, you learn your lessons yourself, just experimenting and going through your career, um, you know, given your rise and, and all the different evolutions throughout your career, is there anything um, that you've learned that you wish you would have known earlier or, um, you know, advice you would have given to a younger self? Yes, uh, I would have. I would say um, this whole notion uh, that we are in a static uh, market or things don't change, uh, I think that's just completely false. And I should, I mean, even when I was in product uh, uh, back, you know, back 10 years ago, I think uh, it is important for uh, us uh, as leaders to embrace change. I think that's kind of number one and not be afraid of it. I think uh, you will meet a lot of people who are actually afraid about what is going on in the market, what are, what are the changes, how things, changing things is are going to impact. But every change is an opportunity. And I think uh, every uh, challenge that we phase uh, from a customer or uh, internally or externally is an opportunity for us to improve ourselves. I think that's kind of number one. Number two, uh, I don't think we should give up, right? If we actually believe in our uh, uh, where we are going, we should uh, be uh, open to finding different avenues and ways to articulate our point. I think that's kind of number two, because sometimes you'll come to a meeting and your idea doesn't get vetted. And a lot of people will just say, okay, yeah, that's okay. I'm just going to not focus on it. But if you really believe in what you are doing is the right thing for your customers and for your company, uh, you should not give up and try multiple avenues, multiple ways to articulate and quantify uh, the outcome that you want to deliver. And finally, I would say uh, something that Warren taught me is like, don't think about the next three months. Think about three to five years. And if you uh, can't think longer, I think it's better because you can actually uh, craft a way uh, to execute on a longer term strategy, which ultimately uh, gives you the benefit of uh, being able to uh, change course, being able to slightly modify the way you are, but to be focused on a longer term outcome is uh, quite important. Yeah, I think those are all important lessons right now. I mean, on the, on, on the you know, long-term front and the market changes, I think right now a lot of people are probably pretty discouraged. Um, and we're, you know, in the middle of something where a lot of people would say we're recovering, but things clearly do change. And, and then on the, you know, front around fighting for customers or fighting for what you believe in, naturally, I think that's something that most people um, would shy away from. 
a little bit right now, basically saying it's better to not necessarily stick out or not sound like someone who's disagreeable, right? And I think sometimes you have to sound a little bit disagreeable to get what you um, want done. I'm sure you've done that a lot of times, given um, what you have achieved from the positions you have. Um, but it's certainly something that, uh, that I think a lot of people struggle with. Of If something doesn't get accepted the first time, it's, it's not really worth it. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I totally agree. And I, I think you have to, uh, to believe in, uh, in the outcomes you want to deliver. And if you do, then you'll always find a way to articulate it, uh, you know, and adapt your, uh, your talk track to meet uh, the right outcome. Because I think ultimately it is about uh, helping other people buy into your vision, which might take time. But if you give up, you don't really have the opportunity to, to do that. So... Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for yeah, for your time. This was uh, it's been an absolute pleasure for me. Yeah, thank you, Michael. Uh, it's uh, great meeting you. And thank you for taking the time. Thanks, as always, for joining us on another episode of The Windwire. We'd appreciate it if you could share it on LinkedIn, Twitter, and rate us or leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Helps others discover the show and join our growing community. Our contact info is in the show notes, including our show email. You can see all episodes at thewindwire.com and then your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode.